As I was preparing for this message, uh, it kind of had me reflecting back, reflecting back to my childhood, to the different Sunday school stories, Bible stories. And it had me thinking about some of my favorite ones. It had me thinking of David and Goliath, right? And how God used this small boy to do this big task that no adult was willing to do. <clears throat> it had me thinking of, of Noah, right? And how God saw that he was the only righteous person left and that he was willing to answer the call that God had placed on his life. It made me think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the ones who stood firm, even stood in the fire to do what was right. They would not forsake their God. Now Daniel spent a night in the lion's den doing the same. That's just the Old Testament stories, right? But it was as I was reflecting and as I was reading, especially this text, um, a visual representation, a visual interpretation kind of helped me solidify that this story right here is one of my top favorites now. And that's the story of Moses parting the Red Sea. Last summer, we had a movie night and uh, we, sh we showed the movie, The Prince of Egypt. Has anyone seen that movie, The Prince of Egypt? If you haven't seen it, it's an awesome movie. I 100% recommend that you watch it. And it tells the story of Moses' life, right? It gives a, a visual depiction of what it will look like, but it's not a 100% accurate representation, right? It takes some artistic liberties, some creative direction in it. And it tells of Moses' life as he's grown up with his brother, Ramses II, Pharaoh's son. Because we know that uh, Moses' mother had to give up her son. And he put her, in, put her in a basket and floated him down the river and Pharaoh's daughter brought him into the family. And so it kind of tells the story of him growing up in the palace as Egyptian royalty, essentially. And him and his brother Ramses II are growing close they're going closer until he discovers that he has Hebrew heritage. And he begins to kind of defy the Egyptian way of life. And he comes to the rescue and he kills somebody as we know and then he has to flee. He has to get out of the city. And so we, we know the story, right? We don't have to recap everything. Like we, we can push past God calling Moses using the burning bush, we can push past Moses confronting Pharaoh and God raining down those plagues on Egypt. And we can reach the climax of the story where Moses parts the Red Sea. And it's interesting that as we were watching the movie, it kind of gave this visual representation of what that looked like. And it's one of those things you can't really put into words and so instead of putting it into words, I'm just going to show you a, a clip of what that may have looked like back then. I'm more of a visual kind of person. And so seeing that in those moments kind of gives me a little bit of a chill when Moses parts to see, to see it with my own eyes. Yeah, I can't put it in the words. 
<clears throat> but it kind of, it made it more real for me. Even though I know it's real, it just brings a little more to it. But a little context, kind of how we got to that moment in the story that Moses finally relents and says, take your people, go, get out of here, right? You're, you're causing me more of a headache now. And so they pack up their things and they're heading out of the city. And it says that the Lord had a pillar of a cloud and fire that went ahead of them. It was guiding them out. It was guiding them by day as a cloud and as the nighttime rolled around, it turned into a pillar of fire. It gave them a chance to be able to travel day and night. And it never left from being in front of them. As we know, Pharaoh changes his mind, which doesn't really shock God, doesn't really surprise him. And then he pursues after the Israelites. And as we see, the Israelites begin to panic. And in the story we see, they start to complain to Moses. And Moses offers his reassurance and tells them that, have faith. And Moses is obedient to what God had called him to do. And he reaches out his staff and he parts it the water. And I find all that very beautiful. And I'm sure it's 10 times as wondrous back then compared to this depiction that we have. So if you haven't guessed it, we're going to be in the book of Exodus this morning. We're going to be in chapter 14. And we're going to look at verses 19 to 31. So if you have a Bible, join me there. Chapter 14, we're going to look at 19 to 31. It says, Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The, cloud, the pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Israelites pursued them. All Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and men followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that it was difficult to drive. The Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over, will flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretches out his hand over the sea and at daybreak, the sea went back into its place. The Egyptians were fleeing towards it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. 
That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of Egypt, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. When the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in his servant, Moses. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. And so we see that the angel of God, this pillar of cloud and fire, was out in front of his people, guiding them, now decided to retreat back to behind the Israelite group. And you'll think, why would that happen? Why would he go from the front guiding to the back? And the scripture tells us that the cloud went behind them, stood between them, so that neither went near the other side all that night. I can understand why the Egyptians would want to get closer to the Israelites, but I don't know why they would want to wander back towards their enemy. But this cloud kind of acts as a buffer between the two groups, right? It's aiding one group, the Israelites, and it's actively deterring the other group and the Egyptians. The cloud of fire and air shifts to protect the Israelites from their enemy. A scholar suggests that this buffer kind of accomplished a couple of things, right? Some of these are practical, right? It obscured the visibility of the Israelites. And so they could no longer see this threat that was coming against them. They no longer had to worry about what's behind. And so it kind of gave them a sense of relief that they, they could no longer see this threat that is charging behind them. Secondly, it obscured the vision of the Egyptian army. And so now they may not know where the Israelites are going or where they're headed. And so that's an advantage as well. They could slip away because of the obscured vision. Third, it says that it testifies that God is playing an active role in Israel's defense, right? They have an ally on their side and it is God. He is protecting his people. And then fourthly, the cloud acknowledges that God is for Israel and against Egypt. The God of Israel is fighting for his people. And so this barrier between Israel and Egypt is a barrier of comfort and of warning. It is actively comforting the Israelites and it is sending a warning to the Egyptians. And this isn't the first warning that Pharaoh and his nation gets, right? God has given Pharaoh sign after sign after sign about who he is up against. And one of the biggest signs that happens is when Moses raises his staff and stretches out his hand over the water and the sea parts. That God drove back the sea, and they are able to walk on a dry path to the other side. And again, that clip plays into my mind now, and uh, the wondrous, awe-inspiring moment that it probably was, and this doesn't come anywhere close to it, but I can remember the last time I felt like that is when I saw Niagara Falls in person. I was coming back from a mission trip with ENC, and we stopped there. 
It was really cold. It was in March. And even though it was cold and part of it was frozen, I still remember standing there in awe and wonder at what God had created, at God's handiwork in it all. And I can only imagine what that miracle was like to behold in person. However, this sign didn't deter Pharaoh and his armies, right? They plunged headlong into pursuing the Israelites into the sea. And God saw this and threw them into confusion. He jams up their wheels, making it difficult for them to drive. Right? We've seen in the clips to where they're falling over each other. They kind of showed that there was mud for the Israelites to walk on, so it's not an accurate one-to-one depiction of what the story says. But we can probably see that there was probably mud clogging up the chariot's wheels. And as they were heading in and they were drove into confusion and losing control of everything, that's the moment they realized. That's the moment that they recognized and acknowledged that God was fighting and it wasn't on their behalf. For them, it was too late because Moses had did what God had commanded him to do to stretch out his hand and the sea returned back to its normal depth, back to its normal position. Pharaoh and his army were completely wiped out by the returning of this water. Not one of them survived. However, all the Israelites made it through on dry land, and it was God who delivered them to the other side side, unharmed. And it was in that moment that Israel finally acknowledged God's power, God's work in all of this, and they feared him. And it wasn't this scared fear that we kind of usually think about. It was a reverent fear, a fear that, that says, I respect you, that I will obey you, that I will submit to your discipline, and I will worship you with awe and wonder that you so rightfully deserve. And so what does this mean for us today? Right, this is a, a story that we've heard all of our lives. This is a story we grew up with in Sunday school that was told every year. I think I heard it every year of my life growing up. And so what can we bring that, what can we get from this that's new, that's fresh? And I'm not sure it's one of those passages for us this morning. I think for us this morning, it's a reminder that we may need to hear When the Israelites looked up and saw that the Egyptian army was advancing towards them, I mentioned before that they started complaining. They started to blame Moses for their situation, right? It says, was it because there's no graves left in Egypt that you brought us out in the desert to die? It's kind of snarky. It's kind of sarcastic, right? Was there not enough land in Egypt for them to bury us all there? So you brought us out to this expansive desert to have them slaughter us? Did we not say in Egypt to leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians? They said it's better for us to serve them in Egypt than to die out here in the desert. 
And we know this isn't a new thing for, for Israel, right? As we know, there have been a bunch of whiny babies sometimes. We'll see that. We know that from our future readings. But I think sometimes we, when we get into facing difficult situations, when we feel like we're, we're backed into a corner and we think that there's no way that we're going to be able to make it through the situation or the trial that's in front of us, that we feel like this situation is hopeless and the matter at hand is so overwhelming that a little spark of, of doubt kind of creeps into our head. I know I've been there before. At the moment, seems so overwhelming. The situation seems so impossible that there's no way that we think that we can get out of it. However, if we look at Moses, if we look at his obedience and his faith, we know that he knew that God would deliver them. He knew that God would not abandon his people we see that the greatness of Moses lies in the depth of his faith and his total devotion to God. Not only in what he says to his people, but also in his action and deeds. In verse 13, after Israelites kind of voiced their concern about their impending doom, which they thought was going to happen, Moses says to them, do not be afraid Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. In verse 14, it says, The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. And so three things stick out to me from what Moses is saying here. As we find ourselves going through these situations that seem hopeless. The first is Moses tells them to do not fear do not be afraid. Moses didn't know exactly how God was going to deliver them when he spoke those words, right? Like his back was literally against the sea. And I don't know if he knew of any other way to get out of there. There's no secret passage that I'm aware of or that he was aware of. But he knew for certain that God would save them. In a sense, Moses knew that he was in such a bad situation that God had to come through in order for him to be rescued. And I don't know if had is the best word because we know that God doesn't have to do anything. God chooses to. And God chose to save his people. And so I think sometimes um, we get into life and we know God's going to take care of the big things, right? He's going to, there's going to be a way. But maybe in the small things to it, like, oh, I can handle that. I can do that. I got the strength for that. Now we kind of find ourselves, kind of, how did I get here? This was so small, but somehow it turned so big. Because we know God's going to do the big things, but what about the small things? And Moses tells them, do not be afraid. God will help you get through these overwhelming situations and these small situations. 
secondly, it says Moses tells them to stand still. I'm like, what? Stand still? The Israelites are trapped. <laughs> We're like, what do you mean to stand still? If I see someone charging towards me, I, my first instinct is not to stand still. And that's often God's direction for us in times of crisis. He tells us to stop, to be still. Because when we get into those moments, that's when doubt or despair starts to kind of cast us down and we can't stand firm. It's in those moments where fear tells us that we need to run away, that we need to retreat, that we need to go hide. That impatience tells us, I need to do something. I just can't stand here and do nothing. Like, let me try to figure out a way to do this myself. And then presumption tells me to go jump into the Red Sea before it even parts, which I kind of, kind of find funny. But we, we, we get ourselves in those situations, right? We try to get ahead of God and what God's trying to do, and we cause ourselves so much pain and so much hurt that could have been avoided if we would have just stood still and stood firm. And that's what God told Israel, and that's what God tells us. Simply stand firm, be still, and know that I am God. Hold on to that peace, because I will reveal my plan. Lastly, Moses tells them to see what God is going to do. See how he's going to save and deliver his people. And again, he doesn't know what God's going to do. He doesn't know how they will be saved, but he knows what the result will be. He knew that God would save his people and that the enemy of the Lord's would be destroyed. He is simply trying to calm them down and to have them be still. The Lord already told him that he was going to glorify himself against the Egyptian army. So Moses assures the people that God has all this under control. The Lord is going to fight this battle for them. They do not need to fear. They don't even need to fight. This is a great reminder for us this morning. God fights for us. This means that we don't have to anguish. We don't have to be anxious or be discouraged when bad things happen in our lives. The situations may seem hopeless. They may seem impossible. It may seem like there's no way to escape. But God makes a way. We don't have to fear or be afraid for, for God fights for us. But we have to remember, when I say God fights for us, I mean, God fights for his plan. He's not fighting for my plan. He's not fighting for your plan. As much as I love the Cowboys, he's not rooting for them to win today. He's not fighting for them. As much as I enjoyed the celebration of us burning our mortgage last week, God's not fighting for you to burn your mortgage. I'm sorry. But what he is fighting for you is to break that addiction that may be kicking you down. What he is fighting for you 
is for you to stop listening to what the world may be saying who you are because of what you may have done in your past or how you may have messed up. He is fighting for you in that. But as he fights for us, it still requires something of us. Just like Moses was faithful and obedient, we too must be faithful and obedient. Moses played a key role in God's plan to deliver his people. We know that God alone saved the Israelites. When Moses raised the staff and stretched his hand out on the water, it wasn't him who was pushing the waves back. It wasn't him who created those walls. It wasn't him who rained down the plagues onto Egypt. We all know that was God. But God didn't act until Moses obeyed. Moses worked in parallel with God to enact his will. God had a plan, and it required Moses to be obedient. And so we know that God will always be faithful and will always hold up his end of the bargain. He will always do his part. But the question is, will we do our part? Will we uphold our end of the bargain? And so as the band makes their way onto the stage for our closing song, I don't know what you may be struggling with this morning. I don't know the, the circumstances or the situations that you may be facing right now. But what I do know is that God is fighting for you. I know that God is fighting for us. That when the storms of life are tossing us around and we find ourselves backed into the corner and we feel like the enemy is just getting closer and closer and it seems like there's no way out, God says he will make a way. And the song that we're going to sing in closing is maybe one that you're not too familiar with, but it goes, God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. He will be my guide. Hold me closely to his side with love and strength for each new day. He will make a way. God will make a way. And I don't know if this is something that you need to come and spend time here with at the altar, or if it's something that you can be dealt with at your seats. Or maybe you just need it as a reminder this morning that when the storms of life are raging, when circumstances seem impossible, and hopeless, that we have a God that fights for us, that he is making a way where there seems to be no way. And so as we stand and as we, we sing this song together, allow this to be your prayer today, that God will make a way where there seems to be no way.
will make a way when there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. He will be my guide. Hold me closely to his side. With love and strength for each new day, he will make a seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. He will be my guide. Hold me closely to his side. With love and strength for each new day, He will make a way. He will make a way. That you make a way. That when the trials and struggles of life come our way father when it seems like we don't we don't know what to do lord you just give us reminders of people who have gone before us lord you tell us not to be afraid you tell us don't fear you tell us to hold on to that peace and to stand firm and to be still and you're going to show us what you're going to do so Father, I pray, Lord, that I don't know what we're going through right now, Lord, but I pray, Lord, that we can hold on to this, this truth and this reminder that you are fighting for us, Lord. You are going before us, Lord. You are protecting us. Help us to know that you're there in the midst of the journey, in the midst of the storm. You are there, and you are providing a way out. It's not going to be what we think needs to happen. It's going to be what your will and your plan is for that situation, Lord. So help us to be aware. Help us to be able to recognize what you're speaking to us and what you're saying to us, Lord. Give us your wisdom during these situations, Father. So Father, thank you again for being a God who cares for us a God that loves us, and a God that is always fighting for us. We ask this in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. So receive this benediction. It's from Psalms. Sorry, I got pulled up. Psalms 46, verses 1 to 3 and then 10. It says, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth may give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam 
and the mountains quake with their surging, with their surging. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us and the God of Jacob is our fortress. So go this week knowing that our God fights for us and that he will make a way even when it seems like it's hopeless and impossible. I love you. You're dismissed. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. He will be my guide. Hold me closely to his side. With love and strength for each new day.